This is a HeadGum Podcast. While Andrew and Craig believe the joy of discovery is crucial to enjoying any well-told tale, they will not shy away from spoiling specific story beats when necessary. Plus, these are books you should have read by now. It's a podcast about the books you've been meaning to read. My name is Craig. My name is Andrew. And we're here with an episode about a book. I didn't. Wa- I got almost <laughs> said it. And we can't do that bit every week. So mm-hmm. instead, I'm but we are draw a circle around this. This is a circular conversation, and I. Let me get us out of it by saying every week one of us reads a book that we've never read before and we tell the other person about it and we tell you about it and we all have a good time hanging out together. Yeah. Even though we can't hear or see you, we know you're there. We know you're there. We know you're there. And we're glad that you're there. Yeah. Um, I read the first book in the Circle of Magic series by Tamara Pierce. It's been published as The Magic in the Weaving and also as Sandry's book. Yes, I believe most of the time now you're going to find it as Sandry's book. Yeah. Fans but. of the show Bones will note the magic in the weaving, the power in the storm, the fire in the forging, the healing in the vine. These are all very Bonesy <laughs> booked. These are bone. These are the titles of Bones episodes. Are they actually titles of Bones episodes? But so you know how the in, when with the show Friends where they were all friends. Yeah. That one. Uh, the the convention for naming episodes was always the one where blah blah blah. Oh, okay. And the convention for the show Bones is always the X in the Y. Okay, I thought that you were going to tell me that Bones was a Tamara Pierce fan, <laughs> and a bunch of episodes pay homage to the Circle of Magic books. No, I mean she may well mention them at some point. It w- it would make sense for the character. But okay. No, I just the, the names that these books were originally published under. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Do sure. follow the same uh, naming convention as the show Bones. Sure. Okay. So just just a just a little Easter egg for you boneheads. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, this is a book uh, that was recommended to us by a Patreon supporter, Tegan. Thank you, Tegan, uh, who said, "Hey guys, been a supporter for a while. I'm making my way through the back catalog. Enjoy your podcast so much. Would love to hear you cover anything by Tamara Pierce. But my favorite is the Circle of Magic series. The Magic in the Weaving is the first book and is a nice, easy read. Smiley face. Um, it was a nice, easy read. Smiley face. Glad to hear it. I also think that we will we will talk about this more over the course of our conversation today, Andrew. But my favorite is the Circle of Magic series." Here's the first book. It's a good, easy read. Mm-hmm. Everyone online I saw talking about these books in a positive light, even people not talking about them in a positive light, talk about the series as a whole. And so I think one of the things we're going to be talking about today, as you alluded to in our pre-recording conversation, is like, how well does this book work as a first book? When people are sharing it and recommending it, or what they're really doing is recommending the whole series. <laughs> You know, I mean, I think this was published what in like nineteen from ninety seven to ninety nine. These four yeah. books came out, and then yeah. since then, there's been at least one other four book series in this and universe. Two or three other like solo novels. Yeah. So yeah, I, I don't think anybody's just recommending this one as a standalone book, but also compared to other sort of YA fantasy stuff. Like I, the Lloyd Alexander stuff comes to mind. Like I think those books are similarly sort of light and easy uh, entry points into fantasy. I also think each of the five of them stands alone better as its own thing. Whereas sure. this, this feels very much like the first quarter of something that's been kind of chopped up and like chopped off and served up to me. <laughs> Interesting. I have a note which is about a, that, which is not yeah. a bad thing. But yeah. that's that's just where I want to I want to plant a flag there to Great. start. Okay, we'll find that flag a little later. Um, yeah, 
Want to tell the folks that Tamara Pierce is a nominee of multiple Locus Awards, winner of the Margaret Edwards Award, the Skylark Award, and other accolades. She was born in 1954 from the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. Uh, sp- hey. yeah, not a state, it's Commonwealth. Go uh, Birds. <laughs> <laughs> spent time... The birds belong to everybody. <laughs> You're right. Um, spent time growing up in California, um, though sh- she and uh, some of her family moved back to Fayette County, Pennsylvania, when her parents divorced when she was in her teens. Bring that up because her she credits her dad as saying that she should start writing down the, st- the stories that she was telling herself while she was washing the dishes. That's the anecdote she uses a lot. Um, doing chores in the house. And she had been like, you know, reading a lot of Tolkien and Edgar Allan Poe and all sorts of interesting authors. Um, Kinds of depressed kid stuff. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and she was like telling herself st- herself stories out loud and her dad um, apparently letting her use his typewriter was a big deal. So he, you know, told her to sit down and start typing some of the stories down. Uh, and when she was writing as a teen, she looking back, she says she was probably distracting herself from, you know, the stress and uh, anxiety of the divorce. Yeah, obviously. Um, and she got into writing, you know, kind of fantasy sci-fi stuff because she loved reading authors like Tolkien, but thought that they were missing, you know, strong female characters at the center of those books. Or really any. <laughs> yeah, well... <laughs> I mean... There are technically female characters in in the Lord of the Rings. <laughs> yeah, but that's as far as I think we can go. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, she did go to the University of Pennsylvania, and I think going into, go birds go into that <laughs> program. I don't What's think she was mascot? setting out to be a writer. Uh, I don't know if they have a mascot. The they're an Ivy. Le- what do they call themselves? The Quakers. Oh, they are the Quakers, huh? Go Quakers. Are they the fighting Quakers or just the Quakers? Um, I mean, Google just says Quaker, but okay. And Quakers don't normally fight. That's like a whole. That's yeah, like no, that's. The, I don't think they would be the fighting Quake. That that would be. <laughs> they would just be regular. people. I know people who've gone to Penn. I don't know anything about the college. Um, it's a university. Excuse me. Um, she did not go into that program expecting to to go into writing. I don't think she had kind of had creative writer's block she says uh and then got an idea uh to write a novel from you know one of her professors and then uh started writing what became the song of the lioness quartet which are the first four books that feature this character alana um in the tortal world that she has written like 12 books in or something and to your point, Andrew, the first of the Alana books was published in 1983, um, but it was originally written as a 700-page novel that she chopped up for like teen and YA audiences. And in, in the 80s, I, I honestly don't know if they were calling it YA think, properly the way we do now, but someone correct me, I'm sure. Yeah, and like I, I don't know enough about the, the state of like the fantasy novel genre like my my knowledge of that picks up sort of in the 90s with Mm -hmm. your wheels of time and your songs of ice and fire yep sure um and so i don't i don't know whether it's a just like a publishing industry thing that she couldn't get a 700 word fantasy novel done in the 80s or if it was a a sexism thing because she is um she was and and is a woman operating in a very male dominated space yeah yeah um yeah. yeah i don't know it's just it's a thing to it's a thing to think about a little brains a little brain scratcher yeah she and and <laughs> and realizing that it it could connect with younger readers was certainly something that helped set her apart as a pitch um and while she was working on that Again, that first book was published in 1983. She was had a whole bunch of other jobs, including reading manuscripts, reviewing... This is from her biography. Reading manuscripts, reviewing martial arts movies, freelance editing, and doing production for a comedy and drama radio show. Uh, that is where she met her partner, who she refers to as her spouse creature. Um, I I commit her... I, I commend her, ad, her commitment to the bit, 
Yeah. Because yeah, she yeah. uses love, that love term the commitment to the bit. Throughout her website and in multiple Reddit AMAs. That it's I like people who people who say parental units. Yeah. Yeah. And for her she, she has some where it's like cute but where it's like cute and clever once and then when they do too many times it's like, Oh, this is a whole thing for you, isn't it? <laughs> she, it's she's got opinions about marriage that this guy apparently uh was worth putting aside for a sure. person so yeah she's got to keep him honest by calling him spouse creature which <laughs> fair enough uh and then she went you know as she started her full-time author career in 92 and that's when she moves into this other tortal series the immortals which takes her through the 90s and then these books start getting published in 97 as you said sandry's book triss's book daja's book and briar's yeah. book uh-huh. Um, are the first four books in the Circle of Magic series. Mm-hmm. Uh, her Tortal series, like I said, has like over a dozen books in it. There was a TV adaptation optioned in 2019. Someone in February hit the Tamara Pierce Reddit and was like, where are these? And everyone's like, listen, man. Listen, this is what, like, options does not mean... And also does not mean anything. And also like COVID and like who knows what people are doing um, with IP. So, uh, but she, I don't know. She has talked, she did an interview, did a whole press tour in 2018 with one of the more recent Tortal books um, that featured a You male. just, it's, Tortal is really like you're just mispronouncing turtle. <laughs> Well, maybe it's weird way, it's really it's really hitting my ear Sorry. in a way that it's, no, <laughs> it's not your fault. Um, and she uh, was asked about like because she finally had like a uh, one of her characters or that character's book is centered on a male character. What does that sentence mean? That book features a male protagonist, um, and the Alana books are all focused on this. Uh, young woman who winds up pretending to be a man to, yes you know, mm-hmm. become a knight and things and so mm-hmm. she winds up writing about like puberty and stuff through the lens of a character who's actually trying to hide or disguise her gender and so then when she starts writing about this guy in the numeric chronicles she actually like asked a bunch of like male editors and stuff like what are the types of things that you might write about to get real about puberty because this is apparently one of the things that she she tries to get real in her fantasy books yeah i I, mean as as one should yeah um i appreciated one quote that she gave to the guardian where she said as i grew older i began to realize that nobody ever goes to the bathroom nobody ever takes a (laughs) bath in fantasy they're always having stew stew takes forever to cook and you never see game animals or farm animals unless it's in the shire where do they get the animals where do they get the time to cook and that's her tongue-in-cheek uh way to build a bridge to her saying she wants to put you know modern and contemporary reader relevant issues in her fantasy novels. yeah like how did when did they make the stew (laughs) (laughs) um and in uh, Locust Mag in 2002, this goes back to uh, her appeal and why she got into writing the Alana books. Um, in 1985, I started getting fan mail. And when a kid tells you uh, you've changed her life or his, you know, it's because it's true because a single book changed your life forever. When you get mail saying you helped me get through my dad's death. You helped me get through my parents' divorce. You helped me get past a broken uh, past a broken ba- broken back. Um, that's pretty powerful stuff. People ask me, what are you going, when are you going to write real books for adults? This is as real as it gets. So like she talks about getting into the industry f- through YA just to get in and then realizing that this was worth pursuing. Yeah. This is, she, she uses that sort of line in, in multiple interviews. Like there, there's a guardian interview, uh, that, that, I read of of hers that basically ends with a quote. Everybody thinks fantasy is so safe because we don't deal with heavy modern issues. Are you kidding? We do this stuff all over the place. Yeah. Yeah. All over the place. All over the place. Um, So, yeah, it seems like for a lot of folks, she is an author that introduces them to fantasy or introduces them to characters and certainly in the 80s and 90s, introduced readers to characters they and types of characters they hadn't met before or hadn't seen depicted in popular fantasy fiction. Well, I've got to imagine for any, like, any non-man, 
Yeah. In, who, who's like anybody who's reading the Lord of the Rings and Aon like takes her helmet off is like, I am no man. And everybody who stands up is like, yeah, and is applauding and pumping their fists like Arsenio Hall for that, for that <laughs> moment. Like these books are for them and nobody, yeah. no, literally nobody else is doing books for them. No, that's true. Um, so that's, that's Tamara Pierce. Um, probably, just probably not. I don't want to erase anybody. It's probably not literally no. nobody. It's no. probably. It's just that she's vastly outnumbered by uh, authors who are doing yeah. a bunch of men be like this, women be like this, wheel of time stuff. <laughs> yeah, for for many readers, she is the, the author who finally did this for them. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, well, let's take a quick break, Andrew, and then you can tell me more about this book. I would love to take a break. Craig, you know, you know me. One of my favorite phrases that I deploy all the time is that's where they get you. You know that one? You heard you, me say that before. I've heard you say that a bunch, actually. <laughs> you do say that. Because listen, there's all there's always a place where they get you, and you always gotta be watching out for it. But if you want some people in your corner who will be trying to help them get you less, okay. Often. <laughs> You should look into Truebill. Truebill is the new app that helps you identify and stop paying for subscriptions you don't need, want, or simply forgot about. Uh, Because companies make subscriptions hard to cancel, Truebill makes it incredibly simple. Just link your accounts and Truebill will cancel your unwanted subscriptions in one tap. And, you know, one place where they get you is they let you sign up online, but they don't let you cancel online. Mm. If that's the thing that is happening to you, your Truebill concierge is there when you need them to cancel unwanted subscriptions so you don't have to. That sounds good to me. Yeah, sounds good to everybody. So don't let them get you. Don't fall for subscription scams. Start canceling today at Truebill.com slash overdue. Go right now, Truebill.com slash overdue. It could save you thousands of dollars a year. Truebill.com slash overdue. That's where they help (laughs) you. Andrew, what do you want to talk about first? The circles or the magic? Or Sandry? <laughs> um, I, I mean, I don't know. We could talk. So Tamara Pierce has talked about the magic in this book and how it's sort of based on embroidery. Oh, yeah. Something, oh. That, something that she was super into. Great. Which, I, which caught my eye because of um, – Wheel of Time stuff where they are doing a lot of like weaving of of magic and it's sort of a not a it's more literal like there there is more literal weaving of like yarn and stuff in the circle of magic books as opposed to just I am artfully I'm sort combining of like mystic wiggling my hands and fingers in the air to yeah right so this is we this is like weaving as a verb as opposed to weaving as metaphor or weaving as the last name like hugo weaving oh how magic is he do you think he's pretty magical he's pretty mad i've seen him on screen that guy's magical mr anders <laughs> um so yeah there there is literal weaving in this book but and that's a good <laughs> Entry point into the magic system because it's okay. We've got four people, right? We got Sandry, we got Triss, we got Daja, we got Briar. And now this is Sandry's book, though. This is Sandry's book, though, but they're all in it. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> okay. Um, it's Sandry's book. We're going to talk about this some more yeah, when we yeah, talk yeah, about yeah. how this feels. It's the first part of a. a tetralogy for you people who yell at me when I said quadrilogy that one time. (laughs) This is for you. (laughs) Um, Yeah, it feels, I don't know. It's, it's Sandry's book, but it's also like introducing us to a whole world and introducing us to each of these four characters. I don't think it feels particularly like any one character's book, but that's neither here nor there. Okay. Okay. Um, But you've got these four, uh, like young teenagers, I think they're supposed to be like thirteen or fourteen, and they are all they they have all suffered misfortune in their life one way or another. Like there is magic in this world, people are tested for it. There are like communities and schools, and like there's a whole infrastructure for magic users. They I, I don't think they are 
ostracized from society in any specific way. It, it's not, you know, we, we, we've definitely read books where somebody finds out you do magic and you just get like booted out of your village and you have to, <laughs> you yeah. go on your hero's journey after that happens. Yeah. That, that is not the deal in this book. Okay. Uh, you've got these four kids whose, whose magic, uh, it all, it all manifests in unusual and highly specific ways. Huh. Okay. Uh, and, and and so you don't you don't fully understand like the system that's undergirding all of this, but like Sandry, for example, um she is able to sort of control woven materials and like yarn and thread and stuff like like it sort of speaks to her and she can speak to and control it. Could she um, like make my jacket fall apart? Yeah, if she really wanted to. Dang. Yeah. What if I really, I really liked that jacket? Too. She probably put it back together if she wanted. Oh wow! So just don't don't make her mad. Okay. Uh, Tris does a similar thing with like the the Earth. I think hers is the most. <laughs> That's like a Captain Planet power. It's well, or like yeah, Captain Planet meets Earthbending sort of thing. Sure. Uh, Daja has a similar thing with metal, and then Briar's thing is is plants. What's the line between metal and controlling the Earth? Does it have to be that, like? See, that's interesting. Is you get into <laughs> little bits later in the book where Daja can kind of talk to Cole because it has to do with like smithing and metalworking, but Briar can kind of talk to Cole because it's just super compressed plants from a long time ago that yes. are a little. The book says that they're smug about having become another thing. Oh man! Like that's the plants are just like yeah, I became Cole. What's up? What of it? What's Wait, up? what? Yeah, they don't. I mean, they don't talk, but he does sense that the plants are very satisfied with themselves for having been compressed into a different form. That, <laughs> that that's really cool. I don't I don't know what to do with it, but I've never heard of anything like that in a book before. Yeah, and it really like, makes me happy. So instead of like being able to to wave your hands and do like magical healing powers or shoot fireballs or whatever, the, these four kids. I'll have a more sort of like workaday magic. Like yeah. their magic lends the, it lends themselves, lends itself very well to doing like small practical, but like super important things. Yeah. And okay. that's kind of what binds them all together. Huh? Um, so that that's magic in the book. Okay. If you want to know what the, we can, we'll talk about the end at the end, I think, <laughs> but as with we we have definitely talked about books in series where the end is just like oh the the book is ending i'd better create some narrative tension so it feels like the ending of a book instead of just like a big blob of of text that runs directly into the next the next story you know what i mean uh-huh uh-huh does that feel what is it did, no this book definitely feels like that this book definitely feels like like these are four kids who have been gathered together from like very different walks of life. Um, they don't get along initially, but they do start to get along like pretty quickly. Um, but they, you know, they all need to be forced into some crucible to sort of solidify and make literal their bond with each other. Mm. And also because the book needs an ending. And so that's kind of, that's kind of why it feels like it does. Okay. You'll 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 understand when we talk about how the book ends, but I don't think I want to get there just yet. Okay, where should we go next? Do you think? Where should we go next? I um, mean, tell me a little bit about how we meet the character. Because again, I not knowing anything about the series, just knowing that the series had four main characters and each of them got a book. To hear that, like, there that it is not. I don't know. How weighted is it to Sandry? How do we meet all four of them? What if does you, that feel like? If you imagine, so you, you remember back in the late aughts when they were doing, they were just getting into Marvel stuff and the end of every movie, Samuel L. Jackson would show up and be like, hey, come be in this other movie with all of you together. Yeah. Okay. And now they put out like seven Marvel movies and TV series a year. And it's this completely bewildering multi trillion dollar whirlwind that nobody can control anymore or understand yeah. anymore. 
but the beginning of this book is like, what if we took and did a supercut of all the Samuel L. Jackson scenes together, and then we just did the movie where they were all together instead okay. of having them all do their own separate. So, thing who's first. recruiting them and to what? Is this guy named Nico, who's kind of a Nico Goldeye? He's a sort of a seeker. Okay, of, like he seeks out people, and so is that these, a seeker with a capital S? Or? It might as well be. But <laughs> I wasn't sure. Okay, um, but he, yeah, he can find things that that are hidden or that other people can't see. Like I mentioned, these these kids have mostly failed magic tests. Mm. And, but I, I think I'm pretty sure all of them or most of them have been like formally tested for magic and found not to have it. Okay. Uh, but obviously they do have magic or else there wouldn't be a book. There wouldn't be a circle. There definitely <laughs> wouldn't be any magic. Yeah, sure. <laughs> you can't have a book called Circle of Magic and not have any magical characters. That would be a weird choice. That would be a very different book, I'm sure. So he's sort of, so Briar is a, he's called a street rat a lot of times. So just right. if you want to imagine sort of an Aladdin-esque yeah, sort of rogue, roguish thief with a heart of gold character, I don't think you're far off. Okay. Um, Daja is a trader, T-R-A-D-E-R. It's not that she betrays people all the time. It's that she trades materials. Great. Sure. <laughs> among people. Uh, Triss is a merchant who sells things, and then Sandry is a noblewoman. Okay, um, but you said they all they all meet some sort of various tragedies or things, or yeah, like so. Sandry's thing is there there is a plague that affects her her homeland that like kills her parents, and she is locked up in a room to keep her safe. But then the only person who knew that she was locked in the room dies. And so she's just locked in the room. Oh no. A month and a half. And it's very tremendous. Like that's the, to the extent that it's Sandry's book, it's like finding out that and, and exploring more about, um, her like trauma related, related to that. Okay. You don't, you, you know, you, you get to know all the other characters, but you don't, explore i don't think all of their backstories quite as quite as thoroughly so the beginning of the book it's like four different povs for all these characters you find out sort of the basics about why they belong on the island of misfit toys like tris just can't trust anybody stuff always happens to the people around her so she's become totally shut off and and unpleasant to be around daja has lost all of her lost all of her family in like a, a shipwreck and is saved. And her like, trader society. So she is, she is black like okay. canonically in the book. It's it's not a, like a JK Rowling thing where she's like, well, I didn't mention it. And so no, I can yeah, just yeah, like, yeah. I can retcon it to be whatever I want it to be. No. <laughs> like, um, that's, it's never made super explicit, but people always sort of shun traders in the way that you might, shun like a i don't know like a romani or oh, like a, just, okay. just anybody who is sort of there's an othering happening yeah there's definitely yeah. an othering happening and like maybe a distrust of people who seem like transitory or, or not like rooted down somewhere yeah okay um but she so she's got this you know this whole like culture and society that she's not a part of anymore that she is really she misses, but also she really, she wants to do things that that society doesn't allow. So that tension is like a big part of her character. And then, um, I already talked a little bit about Briar, who is, you know, thief, thief boy. He just comes from no one or something I mean, like it, that. You don't really talk about his, his people at all, but he's sort of he is going to be sentenced to hard labor because of all the stealing that he's done. And then he's yeah. plucked from obscurity by Great. Nico as he's putting together this Avenger team. Okay. Uh, and they all go to like magic school and they all wash out of normal magic school and go get to live in this house. That's just, the house is just called discipline. Mm. Uh, I would not want to stay there. <laughs> Yeah, you wouldn't want to, but don't worry about it because it's really it's you go there to learn discipline. You don't go there to get discipline or as discipline. It's about learning discipline. And I like in the in the 
sort of blue sky spaghetti wall brainstorming session where they named the house, I'm I still probably would have said like, do you think that's super clear? Just upon yeah. a, like a first. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. do, you think you people, say, do you think you're going to spend a lot of time having to explain exactly why you called your house discipline? I don't know. Maybe we need to think about another name. And can you just clarify when you say house? It's like a house that they all live in because they don't get along with anybody in the dorms at regular magic school. But, okay, but it's still affiliated with Oh, it's magic still affiliated school. with magic school. They still have uh, sort of teachers there. And they still, their lives are still very regimented and scheduled out. They're, they, they have not been booted out of magic school. This is the place where you go to shape up or ship out, magic okay. school-wise. Okay. okay. The house called Discipline. Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, and they don't like each other? They don't get along? They don't. I mean, Sandry kind of gets along with everybody. Okay. That's nice. I mean, they, there are... Characters, especially Briar, who sort of distrust her because she's a she's a noble and she dresses all fancy. Um, like traders and merchants, super don't get along. And Briar is as the only boy, and as somebody who is sort of accustomed to having to scrabble for everything, is very slow to trust and very fast to, you know, to be like, what are you looking at? Whoa. At everybody. <laughs> sure. <laughs> uh, but they all, you know, they all start to discover what their purpose is and, and they all eventually find out that they have magic and, you know, just by doing stuff together and living together, it's sort of accrete this friendship among each other that is then tested in a couple of different uh, encounters, like random battles that they they find themselves in. <laughs> What what is the name like? It is not. Is it school tests or is it like a bully shows it's, up? It's not school tests. So the first one is they go to town because the uh, Lark and Rosethorn, the two uh, women who sort of run discipline and are their like foster mothered figures, they go to town to sell stuff at a you know just like a big bazaar sort of farmers market situation. Okay. And there are a bunch of local boys who are uh, who are picking on a dog, like you know, like doing you do. doing doing animal abuse. And Sandry's like, "Don't do animal abuse." And so they all get into a big fight, and that fight escalates a little bit beyond what any of them are prepared for, and they all get in trouble. But they all got in trouble like trying to help each other, so it's sort of yeah, okay, closer to each other. And then like the book ends. So you find out the mm, it's called Sandry's book. I think it also is Triss's book, even though Triss has her own book called Triss's book. Okay. <laughs> because you spend more time, I think, getting to understand the contours of like Triss's power. Cause she has a it I I talked about it like she's an earthbender before. That's a little oversimplified. It's a it's more like a full on like nature sort of thing. Okay. Like she goes to the beach and like tries to harness the power of the waves and almost ends up like killing herself because that's just too much power. Mm. It's just it's just and so the end of the book is Nico being like, hey there's like a earthquake gonna happen. Like they're just randomly an earthquake is going to happen. And the leaders of the place where the earthquake seems like it's going to happen are going to try to, to harness it or do something to it via magic. And that's a bad idea, but nobody can disabuse them of the impulse. Okay. Adults are making a mistake. Adults are making a mistake. So they make a mistake and the earthquake ends up being way worse than anybody predicted. And the four kids all end up sort of like trapped underground uh, by this random earthquake that happens. Okay. And they all have to sort of combine their powers and figure out how to formally work together. Uh, like, so, you know, Triss is, is trying to get stuff to happen with the earth and, and Daja is reaching out to all the, like the copper and the iron in the earth that's surrounding them to try and get it to do stuff. And, and Briar is, is trying to, talk to the plants and talk to the coal and get it all to, to do stuff. But none of them are powerful enough to do it. 
themselves. So Sandry uses her power of weaving to weave all their powers together and make them all stronger together than they would be individually. And so they do that. And then after that, they are sort of telepathically linked. Dope. Because of the, the melding of, the of minds that they did. Yeah. And they're just like a quartet after this. And then the book ends. Sure. So it does, it does very much feel like the setup of a book that you then just don't get the rest of. Well, the, the, the bit with the earthquake, it really does just like Kool-Aid man into the book around like 80 or 85% of the way into it. And then they have to deal with it. And then they, you know, you get a little bit of them recovering and being closer together. And then the book is over. I guess my, my question there is, does, do any other parts of the book feel like episodic or maybe not episodic, but like, is there like a slice of student life element to like the middle of the book? Kind of. Yeah. Like what, when you're discovering or not even discover when, when you're just going through how life is structured and they're all finding like their individual gifts and their individual teachers, but it all, it, it, it is just like set up, set up, set up, set up, set up. It feels, and it doesn't feel bad. It feels like the first quarter or third of many, many fantasy books and non-fantasy books that we've read for the show. Yeah, sure. You're establishing characters. You're building a world. Like it's all being done well. You get a good sense of who each of the four like core characters are and what their gifts are and why they're like what their gifts like mean to them as, as people and as like members of the, of the different, you know, casts of society that they were in. Like, it's all, it's all very, it's all very well done. But then I was, I just kept looking at the amount of book I had read and the percentage kept climbing higher and higher. And I was like, this book does not feel like it's done doing the thing that it's doing. Sure. Like, I feel like I should be less, I, I, I shouldn't be as far into the book for all these beats to still feel the way that they do. You know what I mean? Well, it feels like an interesting, uh, just vibe that is the opposite of what I normally experience in the first of a trilogy when it's a really strong first book. Right. And it's like, it has it, a, it, it, of all of the, of all of the books in not even just a trilogy, but in a whole series, like the first book tends to be the best like self-contained of all it de- of them. yeah like, like whether whether it's because you're doing the world building or because the author wasn't sure whether they were going to get another you know another book after the first one or or it's because you know that's the book that they had sitting around in their desk and then they'd become a success and then they need to come up with well, more stuff you like, know like it's the book that you know thinking of a trilogy that we just finished reading um the dragon tattoo books like that first book is pretty dang self-contained like are there dangling threads that you can pull on uh for any of those characters sure but that That book is so self-contained that there's a second book embedded inside of it just to like set up some other stuff in case but like the second two books definitely felt like and this is a thing that we run into a lot they felt like one book split into two because you had to do the trilogy thing. Yeah. But but a lot of first books have a really strong... They kind of have like a mini boss bad guy that is like, we can vanquish this person, but ultimately they're not the real big bad. Yeah. Or, well, if you're talking about Tolkien-influenced yeah. folks, like the first book is almost always... Even even like the the Wheel of Time stuff, like it, the first book tends to be a there and back again, where mm. you know the the character starts from some from their home, and then they go and they adventure and they do things, and then it seems like things are safe or they're going back home in some way, but they can't go back home, and that's what the subsequent books are about is like the not being able to go home, but that's not like the, yeah, the first book usually ends with them back at home. Yeah. Enjoying the life that they 
took for granted. <laughs> well, and does and and I've only read a few of the Potter books that they they really rely on the at least for the first bunch of the series as I recall, like really rely on those on the academic calendar as like a framing structure. All of yeah, all, all of, of them, Harry right? Potter, yeah. I mean, except for I guess the seventh one. Where That's what I was like, wondering. None of the yeah. characters are at school to anymore, school, and they're just kind of like gone, <laughs> sitting in the woods, like hating each other. Um, the I was struck wolf. by the fact that um, I mean, the thing that makes the most sense to me to hear you describe the like the cave adventure <laughs> is just like. I wouldn't I wouldn't move um Sandry learns how to weave magical powers like earlier in a first book. Like that does feel like an end of the first book like oh there's a new layer to what you can do. You are more powerful than you knew. Yeah. That feels like the thing that ends a book. Yeah. But it and, and it does. Well, yeah, and and is about them coming together which also feels like the end of a book yeah but, but it, it just got, but it all kind of it just feels it feels rushed does and the, i and i don't i don't think it mm, I, I don't know if it would not have felt as rushed if it had been like a trilogy instead of four books or if it had mm. all been one long book instead of four little books but it it does like i mentioned at the top of the show like it it doesn't doesn't feel self-contained like the first part of a series usually does. It feels like the first quarter of something. Sure. That sure. has the most appropriate possible ending attached to it because the book has to have a narrative arc. Yeah. And it has to have conflict at the end that can be resolved. Yeah, sure. By the sure. time the book is over. Yeah. Um, we talked brief. We I don't think we talked too much about the adult like mentor characters that was something that i noticed in like positive reader reviews came up a few times and but we also mentioned that the earthquake is a result of adults make mistakes so like how do adults feel in this book and maybe is it setting up like a world building element where we gotta teach adults to make less mistakes i mean you basically get well you get three kinds of adults you get evil dumb idiots like the people who make the earthquake (laughs) you get prickly pears who are soft on the inside once you get to know them like rose thorn sure and then you just get like chill adults who are all vibes and just are all about helping you find your cool inner power like okay lark and like frost pine who is the smith who daja uh, apprentices uh, ends up apprenticing under. Okay, okay. Um, but we like these. We like them. Yeah, we we like them. I mean, okay. like Nico, Nico's fine. Rose Thorn's fine. Like they all seem fine. Do they feel like distinct and unique? And do the kids feel distinct and unique? Yeah, no. They they all they all definitely do. Like that that is, I. It feels weird to like criticize the book at all because I read a quarter of a tr- it feels like you a, read a, yeah, four books book. that yeah. came out like a million years ago and like the answer to all my criticism if I'm a regular reader just like reading a book is like okay I'm gonna go read the next one which I sure. did I did and do want to do because I did enjoy all the characters and I enjoyed all the stuff that happened and like the storytelling is is good and everybody feels distinct and it feels like a every once in a while. Like when I read Dune, I was like, man, if I had been 15 when I read this, I would have loved it. Yeah. But sometimes you hit a YA series and we're like, oh, I missed this when it was age appropriate for me, but something about reading it takes my brain like back there. And I, yeah, I kind of can feel that way about it. And cool. like that second thing was how I felt about this book. So like I, I did like it. It is just. The thing I'm running up against is is breaking the rules of what a first book is. <laughs> and it's also called Sandry's book, even though Sandry is like barely by a whisker more important than any of the other characters in the book. <laughs> and so sure. if, like maybe it feels like it's Sandry's book because it th- there are four kids and every one of them gets a book. But I, I don't know. Well, and Sandry's the one 
whose power can unite the group before her the group power, can go her do power other things. Unites the group, and even her like personality is sort of uniting the group before sure. any of the rest of it. Like most of them like Sandry before they like anybody else huh, in the group. Okay, yeah. That's so she's sort of a bridge in that way. Um, I'm just looking ahead to to note that the second book involves pirates. Nice. And a cutthroat band and a sorcerer. Um, the third book, there's a mage that causes a forest fire. Um, so adults make mistakes. And in the fourth book, there's an there's some sort of disease with, uh, and they have to find a cure. So there's yeah. plot to be had. Mm-hmm. Um, the I okay, Andrew. Three star good reviews. Hit me. Three star good reviews. Thank you. Uh, uh, Elaine. Oh no, Sebastian. I'll start with Sebastian. This was very much a coming together book in which the four go from strangers to fast friends. So perhaps those who continue with the series will be rewarded with a larger story that engages them. Okay. Elaine says, basically, I wanted more from everything in this book. More detail, more characterization, more challenges. There aren't any real villains, which is a nice change, but the children's conflicts lacked impact without any major obstacles in their paths. The sketches of all these things are there, but I wanted it to go deeper and explore more. That sounds pretty much exactly what your experience was. Yeah, yeah no, I just I just recognize that the answer to that criticism is like, go read, read the, the additional yeah. books that exist. Like. <laughs> um, the... In a Reddit AMA, thanks to AA and our Patreon, our Patron Discord, um, who shared some Tamara Pierce AMA quotes uh, about the origin of the characters. One of the reasons I asked if the characters felt distinct, um, Pierce said, I discovered quickly when I was writing when I was a writing kid, that my characters all looked and sounded the same. I quickly hit on basing characters on people that I knew. Uh, Sandry is a combination of four photographs of my, of my fans showing the same quality of energy, strength, and humor that I wanted from her. Uh, Rose Thorne, major... This is, you'll tell me if this means anything, Andrew. Major Kira Norris from Star Trek Deep Space Nine, yeah, but without yes. the nose ridges. Yes, exactly. Okay, And, and probably not all the trauma that comes with being the member of a rebel insurgency <laughs> against sure. an occupying power. Sure. Okay. But yes, for sure. Great. Um, and then I just wanted to share this quote from a 2003 review of Trickster's Choice, which I think is in the Tornall I think world. That's a, I think that's a close relative to the Joker's trick. <laughs> This is a review this by is a tr- Elizabeth this choice. Devereaux, who didn't really, who thought the book was a little shallow. It's about the the character Alana's sixteen year old daughter Allie, um, but Devereaux closes the review with saying, "The lore of toward all heroines is not in their infinite variety, nor is it in their verisimilitude. Rather, they faithfully re- reiterate an ideal of feminine power that relies on brains, not beauty." of feminine attractiveness that relies on competence, not helplessness, and of feminine alliances that grow stronger, not weaker, in the face of conflicts. And that's that last sentiment is something I also saw in the reviews of this book, where people like that it is about people who start in conflict and then overcome them, as opposed yeah. to like the a merry band that breaks up, which is yeah, how some yeah, yeah. first books go. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. That seems to be the appeal of... Pierce writ large. Actually. Yeah, like it, it is. It is fun to get to know these four characters, and it's fun to watch them get drawn together and become closer. And then the book is over. <laughs> yeah. Well, good thing there's more books. Yeah. Good thing. It's, there's always more books. There's always more books. Oh, That's the thing. Before we started this book podcast, I think we thought we could get through them all, but. I really I think I don't know if we're gonna. I really thought we were gonna get through all the books. I was a fool. We just gotta keep working. Just keep going. Okay. We will keep going. Andrew, yeah. thanks for crossing one more book off our list. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> uh you can always And I think email. we I think we might revisit this series. I'm not sure how yet, but Okay. I definitely do want to read more of it and we're just you know, we're just gonna figure it out. So if you have thoughts on this series uh, that we haven't already covered in our surely amazing conversation, you can 
email those thoughts to us at overduepod at gmail.com. Hit us up on Facebook and Twitter at overduepod. Thanks to Megan, uh, Gabby, Beckola, Sophia, Cass, Caitlin, Tom, Kim, Casey, and many more for reaching out to us in the last week. Thanks to Nick Larandis, who composed our theme music. Andrew, if folks want to know more about the show, where do they go? Overduepodcast.com is our internet website. Up there we have links to the books that we have read and the ones that we are going to read. You click those links. You are taken to a bookshop.org page. You buy the book. We get a cut. You get a book. Your local independent bookseller gets a cut. And everybody is feeling pretty good about themselves. (laughs) Yeah, that's how it goes. Patreon.com slash overduepod. Craig mentioned already, but you can support us there pay for equipment and books and hosting and all the other things that a podcast needs to operate mm-hmm. um, and many of the things that we need as people to, to operate. Yes. Um, if you are a patron, you may have gotten early access to our most recent long read project Goosebumps, mm-hmm. where we are reading a banging selection of R.L. Stein's Goosebumps books. If you are not supporting us, via Patreon, that's completely fine. You will get your first taste of Goosebumps later this month. That's true. On the main feed. So look forward to that. Also coming up it. on the main feed are T.S. Eliot's Wasteland episode. Uh, also, if Poetry, you're on, y'all. <laughs> also, if you're on the Patreon, you might be able to help us pick a book for June. Take a look at that. Um, coming up next week... I'm going to be talking about the play Fences by August Wilson. Is that who Wilson from Home Improvement is named after? Because he's he's looking over fences all the time. And you, you, and you could consider him sort of an august sort of figure in the Home Improvement universe. Oh, man. <laughs> Here's the thing is that is such a troublesome joke to me. <laughs> But I worry that not enough people listen to the last minute of our podcast that if you I would not blame you if you find a way to bring that back. I can I can make it again at the beginning of the next episode and and just hit them all. Get them get them coming and going, you know. That shook me. I wasn't (laughs) I was ready to like kind of get try to get you goofing on because it's got some baseball in it. And Mm -hmm. I can do that too, but wow. Mm-hmm. Get us out of here. All right, everybody. Until we peek over our fence at you next week, please try to be happy. That was a HeadGum Podcast.